Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is Teresa Burris, Dr. Teresa Burris, who is Assistant Vice President at Emory Henry College for Community Engagement and Economic Development. I have lots of questions about that, but boy, we're going to get to this woman's background. Welcome, Teresa Burris, with an H. Thank you, <laughs> Teresa Keller, without with an H. Exactly. <laughs> um, I guess we really, by all rights, should just start with what you're doing and how it is that you're at Emory & Henry and what it means to be Assistant Vice President of Community Engagement and Economic Development. Um, first of all, thank you for having me on your radio show. I really appreciate it. Um, so I was at Radford University for 26 years uh, before coming to Emory and Henry. And so I have to, to give credit uh, to Radford for making me who I am in a lot of ways and the opportunities that I was afforded and the experiences that I had. Um, I was so excited when I saw the announcement for the Assistant Vice President of Community Engagement and Economic Develop Development because basically I have devoted my career to serving our region. Um, and that's not just in a vacuum. That's also on an international scale. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of that later. But um, I've because it's a new position, I have had the, the um, freedom and creativity to make it what, what I want. Now, that's not to say without, you know, some parameters and guidance and, you know, making sure that what I am doing is fulfilling the strategic plan, the mission of the university, well, soon to be university. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been very liberating to forge my own path to, to serve this region on behalf of, of Emory and Henry. Well, I want to mention before we press a little bit more on that is that you were, I don't know if you still are, you were appointed by the governor of the state of Virginia to the Virginia Council on Environmental Justice. Does that have anything to do with what you're doing here now? Um, that That's a piece of it uh, because I have been involved over the years uh, with serving our region in a way that ensures that it's not just the human, but it's also the more than human that is cared for. Um, so I was, yes, I was very honored when Governor, it's former Governor Northam um, who appointed me, and I'm still serving. In fact, I was just in Richmond a couple of weeks ago for a council meeting. And it's, the work is to make sure that communities across the Commonwealth who have historically been marginalized do not suffer environmental injustices. Is that the kind of thing where the new highway always goes through the black community and they get displaced? What would be a, a current equivalent of an issue you'd be looking at now? Um, the resurrection of gold mining. Yes. Okay. Um, in, in a certain part of, of Virginia, there are some places in the Commonwealth more towards the, the eastern shore that are suffering from, I'm going to call maldevelopment um, and experiencing unnecessary and destructive flooding, that, those kinds of things. Ooh, ooh. What about this issue of nuclear coming to Southwest Virginia? Ooh, I bet you have an opinion, or do you? Or if you did, could you say it? I have to be very um, 
tactful about this because it, it is certainly a hot button, both for and against. And what I keep in mind, and I and this is something that as a as a professor, you know, I talk to my students about this. Things are complicated and complex, and you have to historically situate certain issues. You have to contextualize, look at the systemic um, oh, landscape. you're being so darn diplomatic. Is this not, I'm putting you on the spot. This is, I don't know what the hot seat is, 60 minutes. <laughs> is this not another example of you come into the poor community where they don't have resources, they don't have jobs, they don't have choices, and we'll plop the nuclear down there and let the nuclear waste go in their environment? There, There is a lot of pushback in southwest Virginia against they call them SMRs. They're leaving out the nuclear piece, small modular reactors. But yes, because there's not a lot of discussion about not just the, the nuclear waste. And there is a facility actually in East Tennessee that, quote unquote, handles nuclear waste. What does handles it, it. Yeah, What does that mean? And that's a loaded question. But also the uranium mining that's required for for the nuclear you know now i and here again i I am not a nuclear expert i am a humanities social science girl um and you know one of the arguments that i have heard is and this is from a nuclear engineer that this type of uh, small modular reactor exists on all the naval submarines that there there are um, existing examples. Does that make it okay? <laughs> or does that mean it's risky on the submarines? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, she is zipping her lip. Well, we'll just leave it to people to do their own research. Ex- I have not heard, uh, well, I take it back. I was going to say I hadn't heard a groundswell of protest in the area, but I think there is a significant effort to try to keep that stuff out of here. Yeah, we actually, at one of our Virginia Council of Environmental Justice meetings, we had a group travel all the way from southwest Virginia. This That meeting was in Charlottesville, and they presented to us. To, they were they were against uh, the, the SMRs. However, at another meeting, we had proponents um, from Southwest Virginia, who called in because we have a we always have a public comment period so that we are hearing from the public, and there there was a majority of folks who were for the small modular reactors because they were saying that this will help um, transition. It's an all above approach, is what they say to energy, and this is just one piece of the all of the above. Yeah. All of the above, meaning we do it whether it kills you or not, or whether you have, I guess I'm pontificating here. Sorry about that. I shouldn't be doing that. Um, But anyway, uh, how is the decision made? That is, I think, the million-dollar question, Um, and it's it's still up in the air um, as to, I mean, I know that there has been a lot of money, not only from the Commonwealth, but other resources have contributed to this creation of the SMRs. And I imagine I'm, we need to put a pin in this and move on, I guess, but I imagine that's what you're looking at when you're looking at the Council on Environmental Justice, because it is um, an ongoing pattern where 
the areas that are not developed and don't have resources and don't have jobs get these kinds of things and can't fight back maybe or don't fight back. And so you would be looking at how do we fix that on a systemic issue, a systemic level. Yeah, they, they, oftentimes, um, and, and there is plenty of literature that talks about this, mm-hmm. communities are held hostage um, because they don't have other choices. And, you know, part of so this is a good segue, Teresa, into what my role is here at the university, or soon to be university. Um, how do we diversify our Southwest Virginia economies in a way that provides meaningful living wage employment that is not dependent on one single industry? I mean, we we have to, here again, we have to diversify that's sustainable that does not compromise the health and well-being of, uh, here again, the humans or the more than human. All right. Perfect. You know, imagine this. I had my next question. So what exactly are you doing? And how do you do that from being a professor and having classes and teaching and all those kinds of things? I will say that I do miss teaching. um, And I just got permission, if you will, today to, I'm, I'm going to be teaching in the fall semester, one class, and um, it'll, it'll be a community-based research class. Um, so it, everything that I, I'm, I'm, the way I describe myself to people who ask about my background, I say I'm an academic mutt because I am very multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary. When I was at Radford, I taught multidisciplinary Appalachian Studies classes, mostly at the graduate level. I taught for the English department. I taught um, for the doctoral program in education. I was teaching a critical pedagogies, critical theories class, as well as a place-based education class. All of that experience, plus the community-based research classes that I taught at Radford, here again, have set me up to understand, and I'm not saying that I'm an expert in any regard, because there's, as I tell my students, there's no finish line, even for professors. And I am constantly learning, even now, I'm still in communication with some of my Radford students. In fact, I'm co-authoring an article with one of my former doctoral students. it's it's continuing to to build on my academic foundation from my own schooling, but also my teaching, and and bringing that into a practical, praxis oriented approach. Okay, Dr. Burris, you're bringing all that. What are you doing? Well, um, we are partnering with the likes of the YWCA. Uh, the Small Business Development Center in Washington County, um, looking at how we can create opportunities for Emory & Henry students to support entrepreneurs, particularly women and minoritized um, entrepreneurs. Uh, We are looking at how do we support through curricular offerings the economic development opportunities that are coming down the pike. Um, you know, one of the things that is in discussion is the, the inland port. You know, there's still no definitive 
decision on where that's going to be, but we have a feeling it's going to be somewhere in southwest Virginia. How is Emory and Henry supporting that kind of economic growth for our region? Okay, this is what academics do. I'm going to really try to pin you down here, Dr. Burris, because it's always, I always say, tell me a story, because professionals with their levels of expertise and they talk about strategies and development, we're going to do this and go do that. Give me a specific story of something underway or something that you're working on that's going to actually happen that you can describe. Well, Glade Spring um, and the Tosca building and Project Yes, which does include the YW, Emory and Henry, and the Small Business Development Center. That The building has been transformed into a space where students are going to, Emory and Henry business students, and I would say um, communication students as well, will be helping entrepreneurs, here again, primarily we're looking at women and um, marginalized folks, be successful. But also, how can our own students who have great entrepreneurial ideas bring those into reality and part of our mission not just mine I think it's the institution's mission is to make sure that we retain the talent that we keep the the young people here because as we know the demographics show that we are an aging population in southwest Virginia how do we turn that tide to keep the the talent yeah. Here. Okay. I'm loving this. Now I've got an image in my head. I got a building. I see students going into that building. You talk about women entrepreneurs. What happens when they go inside? Who's doing what inside the building? Well, the students are there um, getting credit, uh, whether it's through internship credit or it might be tied to a course, actually helping uh, an entrepreneur who needs a, a budget a marketing plan, whatever, you know, supports. Who are the people helping? You bring in people from the community to help with it? Well, we're part of it is, this is where the SBDCs come into play because, for example, Cindy Fields gets requests from folks, I need help with X. What's an SPBD? Or? Um, Small Business Development Center. Oh, okay. SBDC. Okay. Um, and... You know, how how can our students help the, the people who are coming to her for requests, given that she's one woman shop? Um, how can we support her? OK, I missed who she is. Sorry. Cindy Fields. Who? She is the director of the Small Business Development Center in Washington County. Oh, and okay. she's one of our partners in Project Yes. Yeah. OK. Well, this sounds great. I mean, that one example is. You can just see boots on the ground. You can see things happening. You can see making a difference. I want to move more to your background, but tell me about a couple of other visions that you might have in your work here at Emory & Henry. One, one that's very close to my heart, because I've been involved in this in two different capacities. When I was at Radford, I was working, and I brought this work uh, with me because of relationships, I worked with the Southwest Virginia Workforce Development Board in Lebanon, in Russell County, and they have a program that was funded by the ARC to support people who are in recovery. And, for example, I provided two creative writing workshops 
for people who are in recovery from primarily opioid use disorder, but it, it's substance use disorder writ large. And in addition to that, another project was working uh, and continuing to work with a psychiatrist from UVA in Charlottesville, where I was work. I was actually interviewing people who were in recovery, and our goal was to destigmatize opioid use disorder, because there's still unfortunately various stigmas around that in the people who have suffered. And my one of my visions is Emory and Henry very intentionally serving people who are incarcerated, people who are transitioning, people who are in recovery, because this is a population who, who needs our support to provide an education to them so that when they are transitioning back into so, to society, they have the skills to be able to, to succeed and continue on their path to recovery. And that that relates to business because businesses exactly. need employees and employees and, and former addicts need a way out and a job. So that's a big vision of mine yeah. and very close to my heart. Oh, I've just got to take a tangent. What did you learn from those recovering mm. addicts? Um, that there is so much resiliency and creativity and an incredible willingness to share their stories so that they can help others. That I, I felt every time I walked away from an interview or the creative writing workshops, I was so humbled by the strength of, of the, the, the people who um, are working very diligently to get their lives back. That what they've overcome. You know, this is just quickly a little conversation piece here in the middle of this conversation, but 60 Minutes had a report on how there's a scientist who's used uh, sonar, what is the, the sound energy, mm -hmm. to find a pinpoint like the size of a pencil head in a brain of an addict, and that, boom, they get it and can, like, make an instant kind of recovery thing. Wow. I hadn't heard about that. Well, it's that. just this past week. Wow. It, so it's brand new. But, yeah, take a look at the recent 60 Minutes. Well, and that's – you bring up an important part, Teresa, because it it alters – I mean, there's an alteration of the brain and the, a chemical alteration. And there's so much science behind this. And this is what people don't understand. And and I'll say this. You know, it's not like people go in saying and – it, and it crosses socioeconomic – race that now there is some discussion about how the opioid epidemic has been whitewashed and there's mm -hmm. some literature about that um, because you know intersectionality is critical and when we look at here again from a systemic perspective of how mm -hmm. drug use has been framed yeah that's, pull yourself up by your bootstraps yeah and yeah. now we're finding that you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you've got a little thing in your brain that's... Exactly. But the thing, you know, what the, what the important story that I want to share is how people were doing what their doctor told them to do. Take these pain medications. And this is why it's important to understand the Purdue Pharma's of the world who very intentionally lied about the addictiveness of Oxycontin while targeting 
Appalachia and northern Maine. There's a, there's a lot of news stories. Well, about could that. I just say dope sick? The Beth the, Macy's the documentary based on the book by a former Roanoke Times reporter, and that the beginning of that lawsuit and the whole ph- big pharma. Uh, settlement started here, right here in, in Washington, Abingdon, Washington County. Well, and Dr. Van Zee in Lee County was sounding the alarm in the 1990s, well before it became mm-hmm. it, an epidemic. Yeah. Um, Dope sick. If you haven't seen it or read the book, do it. As well as Barbara Kingsolver's Demon Copperhead. Oh, yes. Pulitzer Prize winning book about that very issue. And Demon. she got it right. Boy, that's what everybody says. That she, and the research she did. Oh, my goodness. That's a whole other show. I've just got to ask you this question. The, you, your career, your life, your, the stuff you're doing is just fascinating. You said, I think you said, that... An Appalachian Mountain Conference changed your life? Oh, yes. It was an Appalachian Carpathian Mountain Conference. Whatever that means. So the Carpathian Mountain chain stretches from Poland into Ukraine into Romania. And I attended a 2015 Appalachian Carpathian Mountain Conference that in Brasov, Romania. We were in Brasov and Magara which is in the Carpathian Mountains, that here again in 2015. And it, it put me on a trajectory that I never would have imagined. And I actually had a, an article published uh, about my journey that eventually, it, I mean, it's ongoing. The journey is, is, I'm still on it. But I was so fortunate to receive a Fulbright Teaching and Research Grant in 2021 in the fall. I was teaching Appalachian literature with the Cole Focus to American Studies students at Transylvania University in Brasov, and I am continuing uh, to be engaged in cross-cultural research because I was doing interviews in the Jiu Valley, J-I-U Valley of Romania, which is Romania's coal mining region. I'm continuing to co-advise a Romanian doctoral student who is working very much in line with with my research. She's looking at it more from a philological, linguistic perspective from the interviews, both in Central Appalachia and the Jiu Valley. Um, How did it change your life? It just put me on a trajectory I never would have imagined. I, I... I haven't done the DNA testing. I don't know if I have any Romanian in me, but I don't think so. I've got Italian and, you know, British, maybe some Scottish. But um, it ju- I have fallen in love with this country. And in so many ways, I was very fortunate. Even this past fall, I was invited to attend Transylvania University's 75th anniversary. And the the... The contacts, the friends that I've made, not just colleagues, but the friends that I've made over there, not just at the university, but in communities, it, it's amazing. And centered around the issue of coal mining, it sounds like. In the transition of our coal mining communities to a post-coal economy while honoring their industrial heritage. Good job. Are they going to get nuclear to replace it? Sorry. <laughs> i got to ask you a question, just a little detail. You were at Transylvania University, is that right? That's right. How do you spell that? That is So the Romanian 
that university is spelled with an I, as, unlike the the Kentucky Transylvania University, which is with a Y. Yeah. Um, I thought that maybe it had gotten misspelled somehow no. on the website, but no. okay. So Transylvania. I mean, you think of vampires or something. Well, and so yes, the, Vlad's castle, Ka- Braun Castle, is just an hour outside of of Brashov, which I've been to, as you can imagine. But How long were you there? I was for my Fulbright. So I've been there this last time. I was there in 2015, 17, 18, 19, 21, and 23. It's your second home. Yes, it is. It, tr- it truly is. And I was in Ukraine in 2017 for the Appalachian Carpathian Mountain Conference. And I have friends in they're, – they're in western Ukraine. I, Which yeah. was supposed to be one of the safer regions, at least initially they said that. But didn't they get bombed as well in some parts? Odessa was – I have a friend in Odessa, and it was targeted at, at one point because it's a port city. Um, but, yeah, there were even things – there were some military actions occurring around Kiev, or um, not Kiev, but uh, Lviv, um, which is where I have friends. I have another friend down in uh, Rakiv, which is right on the border of Romania, a uh, beautiful area. I hope you can tell us that your friends are doing well. They are They are doing okay. Surviving. They, they are. That's a, an achievement. All right, we just have a minute or two left, but if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you about your family, starting with your parental level of family, because I know your mother, Rosemarie Burris, she's just one of the loveliest people. And I know you lost your dad recently, and I'm so sorry about that. But tell us about, I know you have some boys out there growing up. I do. I do. I'm very proud of both of my sons. Um, I'll say I'm very also very proud of my husband, um, <laughs> who is a VIP in, in his own right. He is the CEO of a federally qualified health center called Tri-Area Community Health. Jim, Dr. Jim Worth, Jr. Um, is my husband. And where is that? That's based in Carroll County, and they serve... Patrick, Floyd, Grayson, City of Galax, they've got several clinics um, throughout that area of Virginia. My older son, Paul, just graduated last May with his master's in international studies from NC State. He studied uh, political science and Russian language and Eurasian studies at the undergraduate level. And Mom's been an influence there, it sounds I like. I think so. He is definitely my philosophical child. Yeah. And then my younger son, Campbell, is the fourth generation Burris to work for our family's construction company, Burwell Construction. Right. I know that my father would be, unfortunately, Daddy um, succumbed to Alzheimer's before he was a, aware that Campbell was going to be working for Burwell. And... Um, Campbell was in the field. He is. He started as a laborer, became a carpenter's assistant. He is now training to be a foreman. The child is not even 22 yet. My goodness. And heaven knows we need people like that, good quality people in those positions. I'm, I'm so and, – and he is such a, a fine representative of our family to the men in the field. He, he – Based on the stories that I have heard from others, I'm I'm just very proud of him. You deserve to be proud of your family all around, and I'm happy that you're here at Emory & Henry. Dr. Teresa Burris, Assistant VP of Community Engagement and Economic Development. Thank you once again for being with me. 
Thank you, Teresa. And thanks to the listeners for tuning in. We are over the air on Wednesday at 6 and Sunday at 2 here on 90.7. You can also find us on the podcast. Just Google it. This conversation WEHC podcast, and you will find it. So thanks again to Dr. Burris. Thanks again to the listeners, and please stay tuned to this fine station.